cough come through. Yeah, kids can head off to um, Exchange Kids out the back. Thanks for all our teachers who uh, come together each week and organise and look after those ones. It's a real blessing for us to uh, be able to uh, have our kids taught the truths of Christ. Thanks for coming today and uh, joining with us in this lovely sort of early spring day, isn't it, as we... uh, as we come, I'm just going to start this up while I'm thinking of it. Yeah, we're up and going. Yes, a lovely spring day. It's a bit of a, uh, a reminder that um, spring is just around the corner. It's only a couple of weeks away. And for some people, they'll be really looking forward to those nice sunny days again as they come out. And uh, we can enjoy ourselves in that. Um, just a quickly before we start, uh, you would have all be well aware this week of the, uh, the news that was happening with the government and the uh, same-sex marriage debate that's been going on, that the plebiscite is now going to go ahead, uh, a postal plebiscite, so not the original one where we're all supposed to go to a ballot box and do that. They got defeated again in the Senate, but they've come back now with um, a postal plebiscite. So that'll be coming out, so we're told, uh, in early September, and then you've got two months to fill that out. Uh, look, it'll be, a, it'll be a challenging time for the country... Uh, going forward as we actually sort of deal with this and think about this, uh, as much as the, um, the media say, look, it's just such an irrelevant issue, why don't we just do it and get it over and done with, it really is a, a critically important issue for the country of Australia. It has far-reaching ramifications than just the simple, let's redefine marriage and let's just you know, move on with life. Uh, it, it has profound implications uh, for the very fabric of society, the way families are constituted and put together through mother and father. And also, uh, flowing on from that, there'll be, if it's anything to be seen from other countries as well, there's um, challenges there with freedom of speech and freedom of religion even, which we see flow on in other countries when they've actually gone and redefined marriage and allowed same-sex marriage. So we won't today uh, do a long um, discussion on it at all. I'll probably say that for a couple of weeks and we'll probably uh, set aside a morning where we'll actually talk about the whole idea of marriage and the biblical perspective of it. Um, but suffice to say, what I will do today is just mention a few things. Uh, we really need to pray for wisdom for the church, because this will be a very challenging time for the church as we sort of embrace what's going to take place uh, over the next few uh, weeks and months. So we need wisdom uh, for perhaps Christians who will be on doing interviews. I don't know if you've heard some of them on the TV or the radio. It's a very difficult space for a Christian to get up and say something. They are just about cut to pieces before they even even get the first few words out. So it's a really, really challenging time. So we want to pray for God's grace and wisdom upon those people who get a chance to do that. Um, My brother Pete um, gets a bit of media spotlight and he's potentially going to do a bit of this maybe over the next two or three months as well. So we want to be praying for Pete too, um, that he'll have opportunity to... uh, Speak, but also have God's grace and God's wisdom when that comes up. That's always a, a difficult spot. Uh, also, we need to pray for courage and love to speak the truth in this, uh, this very difficult time as well. It takes a lot of courage when you possibly are the only person in the room promoting a view, a godly view and a biblical perspective, and the rest of the room or the rest of the group there are actually thinking very differently. It takes a lot of courage to stand up and conviction to speak that truth. So we want to pray for... All of us that will have courage and love to speak that truth out and clearly and in a respectful way that um, is not putting any unnecessary barriers there out there for people, but in a way that does communicate uh, what the Bible says. Uh, And lastly, 
Um, we need to know as a church what to say uh, on when this plebiscite comes along. And the church, the Christian perspective is we must vote no. We must vote no. We do not want marriage redefined as it already currently stands in Australia. Uh, there'll be many out there even who'll say they're Christians and they'll say, yeah, we need to redefine marriage and allow these people to get married. The, the biblical Christian perspective is for this plebiscite is to vote no. We do not redefine marriage. We leave it as one man and one woman uh, wedded in covenant before God as the foundation of marriage. So I'll just say that for now and we will talk more about it uh, in a few weeks' time and give us some opportunity. Um, I've actually asked Pete, who's very shortly about to drive down to the airport, he's going to put together for us a one-page document which might have six or seven short little responses about what we will say as believers in the, in the perspective of how do I answer somebody when this question maybe come up. So what we'll do is we'll get that over perhaps the next couple of weeks. If he's got plenty of time on the plane this afternoon, he can start to type that out. And we'll email that out so you can have some, like, some short sort of responses to say, well, how do I speak into the situation or how do I give a response? Because sometimes on the spot, uh, you can't get the words out. So if you've got something there to think about and sort of have a bit of an answer locked away in our mind, uh, at least we can say something. And it is an opportunity over the next weeks and months to actually um, glorify God through uh, the definition of marriage. It will be difficult and challenging, but it will be an opportunity to do that. And again, as I said, we'll do that with our sensitivity and, uh, and God's love. So in a couple of weeks, we'll come back and we will talk a bit more about that. Today, though, let us get back to the book of uh, John, the Gospel of John, and uh, probably talking about the government and the parliament. Uh, what sort of do you think of when you see the way our current parliament is acting of over recent days, weeks and months? Uh, when you see and hear the current government with all of its jostling for power and its secret meetings being held behind closed doors, what comes to mind when you see the way the current government's been actually carrying out its activities over the past few months and probably the previous government before that as well? And this is not meant to be a political statement about the Liberal Party or the Labor Party or anything like that at all. It's just what sort of words come to your mind when you see the way this infighting and things happening with the current government? It's probably words like these, isn't it? Division, fractured, uh, pulled apart, egos trying to climb up the ladder of success with fighting and perhaps plenty of other words here which just shows a very um, broken up sort of uh, divided group of people. I mean it's amazing what you see take place in these party rooms that is supposed to be unified around this common cause or common thing but they are literally pulling each other apart and it looks like the current government is going to do the same thing again. If only, if only they could have some sort of unifying factor amongst them, maybe there might be some better and clearer direction for this country going forward. But currently, it seems very divided, very fractured uh, in the current government that we have with us once again. Well, let's look into John chapter 17 today. We're going to read all of uh, chapter 17. It's only a shortish chapter. But here we're going to see a picture of uh, Jesus as he talks about unity, about coming together as one. So starting at verse 1, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. 
I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you've given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they believe that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has, lo- has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Lord, thank you. Thank you today for John chapter 17. Thank you, Jesus, for your heart that is exposed here in praying not only for the disciples at that particular point in time, but also for us who are in you today. Uh, Holy Spirit, we just ask and pray now as we come to think about this passage that you will uh, open up our hearts and minds to see the unity that Jesus Christ calls us into, uh, the blessing that comes with that and the strength that he gives to us in and through that unity. God, we ask that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I read the whole chapter because it's a very unique chapter there, John chapter 7. It's what you might see in your subtitles, the high priestly prayer, perhaps above there. Uh, It's a prayer that uh, Jesus uh, has prayed for his disciples at the end of sort of the the Last Supper and heading off into the garden. There's a whole heap of things happening that night and it's really, you know, it's one of those really long detailed recorded prayers that the Holy Spirit has put there for us 
to see the heart of Jesus Christ as he prays. And uh, obviously there we see the Spirit trying to uh, show us the concern that uh, Jesus has for his disciples and for us in and through that prayer. You know, perhaps the disciples, when they heard that, may not too much have resonated with them at the time, didn't really sort of maybe think that much about it or reflect on it too much. But I can assure you down the track, as they saw the kingdom of God grow and they saw the church grow and they met with all sorts of various trials and difficulties, I'm sure down the track, down the track that that prayer became really, really important to those guys as they actually just saw the heart of Christ uh, praying for them. There's, um, there's quite a few themes that are happening in and through that chapter and there's probably many messages that you could probably bring out of that. But the theme that stood out to me as I reflected over John 17 was this strong theme of unity that Jesus was praying about, that to be one as he and the Father are one. It seems to come through quite a few times there, that Jesus wants his followers, Christian believers, to live together as one in unity. And uh, I think Jesus has spoken much of the challenges uh, prior to this that the disciples will face as he's about to now return to heaven. And I guess he knows that they'll be strengthened in and through this unity if they gather together and uh, live together as one uh, people under Christ. And there's a certain principle that's involved there when, you, when you're together as a group, it's stronger than when you are as one. Uh, Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, uh, this in verse 12 of chapter 4, And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Um, Solomon's saying, hey, there's, there's something great there about togetherness. There's a strength that comes there when people are together and unified around one thing. Three working together in unison is better than one, as Solomon would uh, tell us that there. So what is unity? What does it mean to be in unity? Uh, the word itself has this definition of being, a, of being in a state of oneness. Jesus used that word to be as one. It can be defined as a quality of harmony or togetherness when we are in unity. An example could be, uh, the town was unified together in one voice. They don't want a new prison built on their borders. You will see a unity there, perhaps within a town. It's happened maybe just recently down on the uh, western outskirts of Melbourne. You could go to anybody in that town and everybody will say the same thing. We don't want this prison built on the outskirts of our town. You'll get the same answer from every single person. They are together in unity about this issue or about this idea uh, where they are. And this is exactly what Jesus wants to pray for us today. He wants us to be unified and unified in and around him as the very centre of our lives, the very source of our life. Jesus is calling the Christian community to be in unity. And he's praying for it here, which um, for me communicates something very strongly to us. He wants us to be developed as one. What will bring this unity into being? As Jesus prays this prayer about unity, what is it that Jesus prays that will take place within our hearts that will cause this unity or help this unity to grow within us? A few things here that I picked up as I walked through this. First, I think for us to walk in unity as a group of believers and Christians and to gain, to gain strength, not grain, gain strength from that, is we must be unified around the truth. This must be something that binds us together. And Jesus uh, goes to that there in verse 17, a very uh, famous verse and a well-read verse. Sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. Jesus is praying here for his disciples that God will sanctify them or set them apart 
from sin and error that would seek to come in and divide them. Set them apart from this sin and error, he's praying, but do this in such a way that the truth would come in and this truth would unify them and draw them together as believers in Christ following after him. If there's one thing that can pull a group of people apart or divide people, it truly is when error or falseness comes in. It begins to sort of plant wedges amongst us and I believe this, no, I believe that and we all go in our separate different directions as this takes place. It really does leave a door wide open when we allow error or falseness to come in and, uh, as it were, wedge us apart. Paul sort of addresses this here in the uh, book of Acts. In chapter 20, he's talking to the Ephesians here, and Ephesian elders, and he says this in Acts chapter 20. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Listen to what he says next. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Paul's really aware of what can take place when uh, we are left to our own devices and don't unify around the truth about Christ. So what is Paul saying here? In those particular, those last few verses, he gets quite sort of graphic in the way he describes this. He says, fierce wolves, people who want to come and devour you, people who want to come and destroy you. He's saying, fierce wolves, men corrupted by error, will come in and they will speak twisted things. Twisted things. What are these twisted things? These twisted things will be false teaching or false doctrine, false ideas, false ways of doing things. Paul said they will come in like fierce wolves and they will try and sow in to you this false teaching and false doctrine. And what will be the result if that's allowed to take place? What does Paul say? They will will be drawing people away from the flock. In other words, they will be creating division as they bring this uh, falseness into the community of the believers or into the flock, as he uh, says it there. And Paul has the antidote for that. It's right there in that passage we just read. He gets right to it. It's the truth that exposes the false and it's the truth that unites the people. If you look back into verse 27, Paul declared there back at the start of that passage, he said, I declared the whole counsel of God to you. Paul didn't hold back on expressing all of God's truth before them. And the whole idea of that was to unite them around the truth of God's word so they could discern what was truthful and what was error and what was false. So this truth is something that comes in and it creates a unifying belief that creates unity within a body of believers as they gather around this truth that exposes the falseness and exposes the error. This truth helps to create unity. Another thing here that Jesus prays for for unity amongst the flock or unity amongst the community of believers is that we'll be protected from the enemy, from Satan. Uh, Verse 15 of John 17 says this, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Sometimes we'd love it if Jesus would take us out of the world away from the trials and troubles, but that's not God's will for us in our lives. No, don't take them out of the world. Leave them in the world to be the salt and light of the gospel. But please, 
protect them from the evil one. Protect them from the evil one. The evil one there is Satan. And one of Satan's chief weapons of destruction in our life is to isolate us and to get us out on our own. To move us away from the flock. To divide us and get us out isolated on our own. That's one of his great weapons of uh, trying to destroy us and to destroy our souls. And he has a field day when he's able to do that, when he's able to isolate us and pull us away and then cause perhaps infighting or cause all this tension or disagreement. It's something that Satan has an absolute field day in doing that. He takes great delight in doing, in uh, creating that division and drawing us away. The first thing to help us in being protected from Satan and his wicked dividing works is we must be aware of his deceptions. Now this might also sort of peg back to this truth again, but we must be aware of the deceptions that Satan will try and place in our minds. Now it's a vastly large topic here. How does Satan do that? We're not going to talk about it today, but there is some way that in God's sovereignty that he allows to, as it were, interject thoughts into our minds and, and try and bombard us with sort of temptations of stuff that is just wrong. We need to filter our thoughts and begin to understand what is this thought going through my mind? Is this a thought that's really honouring God? Or is this a thought that really lines up with Scripture? Or is this some really crazy thought that's actually appealing to my flesh and trying to isolate me and divide me and draw me away? It's only truly as we stay close to God's word that we'll have that discernment of those thoughts as God's spirit works with us and gives us the ability to identify, now that is a wrong thought. That is a thought quite potentially that's come from the enemy to try and divide and to uh, pull us apart and therefore break unity. So God, Jesus prays, protect them. Protect them, Lord. Uh, Protect them, Father, from the evil one. And as we're protected from Satan and his designs, that does help to create unity. The third aspect here is what the whole chapter is about. What is this chapter about? It's actually about prayer. It's a prayer that Jesus prays. That is a tremendous way that unity comes about. Jesus is praying for unity with us. So therefore we should be praying for unity within our own body of Christ as well. It's a prayer that Jesus distinctly prays here, looking for unity. And when we pray, we must believe that God will communicate his grace into our lives to help build that unity and community together, knowing that that's exactly how he wants us to be, to be as one. That fosters or that builds or that creates unity when we pray and we commit ourselves to it. Amazingly and supernaturally, God does incredible things through prayer. And when we pray for unity... God will help to foster and harness and see that unity come into uh, into place in and for our lives. So there's like three things that help create unity. uh, Coming around the truth, being aware of the enemy's deceptions and praying for God to build us into a unified people here, as we can see just that reflected through chapter 17. Okay, unity in and around Jesus Christ is a very precious thing. It's a glorious thing that brings honour and glory to God and brings blessing into our lives. A great part of this blessing that we receive in unity is to see the kingdom of God grow through the mission of the gospel. So we want to see what does this unity produce? When we are unified together as one body, what is this blessing that God produces and brings in and through our lives here as a unified group of people uh, living in and centred around Jesus Christ and all of his truth? 
Here Jesus again prays for his disciples and us in verses 18 to 21 and gives us a reflection here of what this will look like. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. There's a call to mission there for us. We are sent into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only. So Jesus is there talking about the disciples. But also for those who will believe in me through their word. That is us. We have believed in the word of the gospel from the apostles 2,000 years later. That word has gone from the apostles to other people, to other people, to other people, to other people, to other people. And here we are today for those who are trusting in Christ. That's exactly who Jesus is praying for. Me and you if you're in Christ. That's a wonderful thing just to stop right there and think about that. We won't go any further there though. That they all may be one. Unity. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. Why? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. This unity that in and around Jesus Christ is meant to say something. It's meant to communicate something. It's meant to point towards something. And it's meant to point towards the world believing that God has sent Jesus, his son, into this world to be its saviour. That's what Jesus is saying here. That when this unity is demonstrated and lived out, it will be somehow a marker or a pointer to the world that we're living in that God has sent his son into this world to save the world. So that the world may believe that you have sent me there is that last line there. Unity amongst Christians results in Jesus somehow being sent, being seen as sent from God. Now you may ask, how does that happen? How does this unity show, how does this Christian unity show that Jesus is sent from God? Well, I believe it can look a bit like this. The world looks in on the Christian community and they see a unified message that binds these people together. There's this common truth that they grasp towards and this holds these group of people together very tightly knitted together. It'll be a truth like this out of Philippians. They'll they'll have this common message here, which is this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on on a cross." The world looks in and they see a unified group of people believing the same thing. Believing this truth that God became a man and came into this world to rescue us and to save us from our sins. And they see this group of people living for that. And God miraculously and marvellously begins to communicate to the people looking in, hey, God really did send his son into the world. These people are unifying around this truth. That the, that the man Christ Jesus is the God-man. And he came and humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. They will look in and say, hey, they are all singing from the same song sheet. They're singing the same truth. They're believing the same truth. Maybe, truly, God did send his son into this world. Here's something else that will result from this unity as well. There will be an evident love for one another in unity in the body of Christ. And this is also will the world know that God has sent his son into the world to rescue and to save us. 
Uh, At the end of verse uh, 23, John 17, 22, 23 says this, I in them and you in me that they may perfectly, may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. So the world may know that you sent me and loved me even as, uh, loved them even as you loved me. There's a sense here also that the love of God that Christ has communicated to us in dying on the cross for us becomes evident in our lives as a community. And again, the world looks in and sees a community of people with this love that's been passed from us, from Christ, now to each other, becomes a testimony or a witness to, hey, maybe God really did send his son to this world to save us. These people have an evident love about themselves. Remember what Jesus said back in John 13? He said something similar there a few weeks back and he said this, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus is praying the same thing here that he spoke about back in John 13. That this love will become evident amongst us in unity. He's praying that this love will be lived out and demonstrated between each other and this will become a testimony to God sending his son to this world. You might say, well, how's that going to look? The world, again, will look in on the Christian community. And for our context, it's Exchange Church here in Shepparton today. And this is what they should see. They'll see a community unified around Jesus who actively love each other without prejudice and without partiality. No prejudice, no partiality. That means that the love of Christ has so transformed us that we will have absolute, complete, total respect for each other no matter what our background is or where we've come from. We'll see each other as equal, equal before God. And being equal means no matter who you are or who I am, we're all broken vessels who need God's grace every day in our lives. And we see each other as that and see each other desperately needing the love of Christ in our lives and we get that opportunity to communicate that to each other. The world looks in and they say, hey, there's something unique about this people. They have this amazing love that I don't know where it comes from. Perhaps God did send his son into this world. Jesus said, by this love, the world will know and believe that God has sent his son into the world. This will be difficult for us though. It's challenging. Our broken, corrupted nature will try to be ruled by our pride when it comes to these sort of things. So sometimes instead of loving people and accepting them, we will seek to put them down by our speech or actions so as to elevate ourselves above them. That'll be something we'll uh, battle against. But if that's taking place in our life, that's not then the unifying love of Christ in our hearts. We're actually creating division within ourselves if we let pride come in and try and uh, take us down like that. The ultimate fruit here, the ultimate blessing of this Christian unity that will be demonstrated to the world, that will be actually demonstrated between each other as we seek to build this unity becomes God will be honoured and God will be glorified. God will be made to look great in and through Christian unity. Again, uh, verses 22, 23, have it there for us, and it's right at the start of verse 22. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. This unity, this Christian unity that is worked out amongst us will serve to make God look very spectacular and very glorious in this world. Here's a group of people coming together uniting around the truth of Christ, uniting around this love that they have for each other, and this will bring a glory to Christ that he's, in a sense, given to us through salvation that we now get to reflect and radiate through our lives 
in and worked through Christian unity that Jesus is praying here for us. A great blessing that we can give to this world as we honour and glorify God and make him look tremendous through Christian unity as a body of people. Unity is a wonderful, wonderful and powerful thing as a people dwell together in unity. But it can be very difficult to achieve and very difficult to maintain. The foundation of strong Christian unity really is found when we are linked together in that truth that we looked at right back at the start, the truth of the gospel, the truth of God's word that really does, uh, as it were, uh, bind us together in incredibly powerful bonds that the Holy Spirit does as, he, as it unpacks and sort of welds that truth into our minds and, as it were, welds us together as well as we come and unify around that truth. The Holy Spirit takes that truth that we believe, this common belief, and he deepens our connections with each other. He deepens our relationship with each other as we share this common belief and we have it in such a way that binds us together in true, deep friendship. We agree upon the truth that's found in the Scriptures and with this agreement we stand shoulder to shoulder supporting each other through all types of challenges and trials that we will face in this world. So if false teaching does come our way, this truth uh, comes in very tightly and binds us so that we can resist the false teaching. This truth that we know about Christ, that he never leaves us or forsakes us, again comes in and binds us closer together as we face challenges as a community of people. And those challenges could be over the next weeks and months as we face perhaps a hostile world to some extent about what they will say about same-sex marriage. A Christian community comes together around the truth of what the Bible tells us about marriage and it binds us together as one in deep, close bonds. This unity in truth, though, isn't just some mental information sort of gathering exercise. We don't gather all this truth and store it in our minds and and just that's all it is. It does work its way into our lives, into practical living. Practical living. And again, this daily practical living can be difficult with our conduct towards each other. We live with an indwelling uh, sinful nature within us. We're not as it were, totally restored at this point in time. Christ has transformed our hearts, but there's indwelling sin and there's indwelling corruption that remains within us. And this will want to try and rise up and allow pride and all sorts of other things come and uh, dictate in our lives. And if that is allowed to take place, then unity in Christ as believers is really cut to pieces if we allow pride and the indwelling sin to rise up within us. Pride will tell us that we are the most important person in a group. I'm the most important person here. I'm the most important person in that section over there. And everybody else needs to know that. That's how pride will begin to speak to us and begin to slowly work its way into our lives and to divide us. And pride will actually cause us to uh, do all sorts of things to make ourselves look good and in some ways make everybody else look small or belittle them. It really, really does happen. Paul actually spends a large part of Ephesians 4 talking about this conduct here in unity and how to achieve this conduct and actually defeat things like pride that would try and rise up for us. And Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 4 here at the start, verses 1 to 3. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience 
bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul's eager for them to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He wants to see the Ephesian church there, where he's writing this letter to, to be unified in the Spirit of peace, unified around Jesus Christ. And how does Paul say that? Paul says this, you will live a life marked by humility, by gentleness and by patience. The truth of the gospel works its way into our hearts and our minds and the Holy Spirit enables us to live that out through our lives. Living a life also that is marked by bearing with one another in love. In love. We are given this power by God's Spirit to be transformed into a community of believers unified around Christ and we can do this in very, very practical ways. We put into place humility. Humility that is empowered in us by God's Spirit. We put into place gentleness and patience and we bear with each other in love. And we put lots of effort into that because it requires lots of effort at times. I know probably if you're trying to work with me, you'll probably need a lot of effort sometimes to sort of be unified with me sometimes because maybe I'll do things that actually will not push your happy buttons. But we need to be working with compassion towards each other to bear with each other one I love and to bring uh, unity to bear within the body. We need to see them as a brother or sister in Christ uh, walking the same road of faith that we are walking and we need to work hard with them to uh, bear with them and to grow and foster this Christian unity that reflects so much of Christ into this world. And we can, through God's truth and through God's spirit working in our lives, carry out this conduct. This community then can be a tremendous witness of God's life and changing grace to the world around about us. The world can look in and they can see something. They can see something within a group. The world can look in at a church and they can see a unified group of people coming from all diverse backgrounds, diverse nationalities, all types of social levels, walks of life, educated, non-educated, successful or ordinary, rich or poor, healthy or unhealthy, and you can put a whole vast array of contrasts there that could be found. You could see a real mixture of people with all that vast amount of backgrounds coming together, all unified around Jesus Christ. And it will be a tremendous testimony here to the power of the gospel and the power of Christ that can bring all these people from so many different backgrounds and walks of life to be unified together as a people. Think about it. If it wasn't for Christ, probably not many of us here would know each other. It's actually the commonness of Christ that draws us together from all sorts of walks of life. It's amazing how that demonstrates uh, the unifying power of Christ. That so many people from vast backgrounds, different backgrounds, come together and are unified in him. Who else could bring a group of people together like that? What else could bring a group of people together like that? Only Christ. And we cannot underestimate the power of what that shows to a community out in the world that we live in. I think it's a tremendous thing that the church can show when different nationalities and different cultures and different aspects of life and different strata of life all come together and see each other totally and completely as equal. It really does communicate a message here of the transforming work of Christ and the transforming work of the gospel and it speaks volumes of that. And we desperately need that today here on mission in the greatest shepherding community. We need to show a unified body 
unified around Christ, unified around the truth of the gospel, working that out through patience and humility and forbearing and loving one another, accepting each other as equal and respecting each other. And this can be a tremendous witness for the gospel here in Shep. Real, authentic Christian unity is a fantastic instrument that God uses to help people see that God has sent his son into this world to rescue and save the world that we live in. This is Jesus' prayer for us today. This is what he's praying for, a people unified in and around Christ. And this is exactly what Jesus gave his life up for only 24 hours after praying this prayer, that they would be one. Father, even as we are one. Let's pray. Father, thank you today that uh, we have John chapter 17. Father, thank you today that your son came into this world and he prayed for unity. He prayed that we would be one even as you and him are one. Lord, today, even as we look out upon our own congregation here, there are people of different nationalities. There are people, Lord, from all walks of life. There are people, Lord, from different social levels, perhaps. There are people, Lord, who are well-educated and people who aren't so well-educated. God, there are people from all various backgrounds. And God, it is an amazing thing that you bring us together and you make us uh, to become one in Christ Jesus. Lord, it brings us challenges. It brings us challenges. We do bring our own corrupted, sinful nature into this arena. And Lord, it's so easy for us to inflate ourselves and to deflate others around about us. God, today I pray that you will work in our hearts this same deep sense of unity that Jesus prayed for, that you would work that into our hearts and that, Lord, we would come and we would seek to build unity amongst each other. Lord, seeing those who are different to us and appreciating the differences that you have uh, made in us. Lord, perhaps seeing others who are less fortunate than us, but that, Lord, you would draw us to them to help build them up and lift them up and encourage them. And help them, Lord. Please help us, I pray, Holy Spirit, to foster this deep unity. And Lord, I thank you for the unity we have here at Exchange. And I pray that we will grow this and increase this. And that, Lord, it would be an instrument that you would use to draw many people to know Christ. Particularly as we live in this fractured world that we have today, Lord. God, may we be a light of the gospel here that shows a unifying people unified in and around Jesus Christ. Lord, please, please help us in this and please help us to honour and glorify you through that. Father, today we do ask and pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen.